This is the Intego Mac Podcast for November 21st, 2017. In this episode, we'll be covering what you need to know about creating and using secure passwords. Could someone guess your passwords? What makes a good or bad password? Do you need a password manager? The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software, exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. Isn't it annoying when you forget your password? Yeah, it's it's definitely a problem remembering all of these passwords for a million different websites. We've got, you know, gosh, there's banking accounts and social media accounts and the account that you set up so that you could comment on that one blog that one time 20 years ago. Yeah, I hate that one. Oh, and, and then every once in a while you get an email from them because their terms and conditions have changed and you're wondering what was this site? I don't even remember it. Right. I'm one of those people who back in the day used the same password all the time until I realized how dumb that was. I think a lot of people don't realize that. Yeah, that's absolutely true. One thing that's really come to light, I think, over the past few years is with all of these major companies having password breaches and even a lot of smaller companies we're, we're finding are having these big password breaches, too. One of the things that's really become apparent is that a lot of people reuse their password on multiple sites. Well, there's a lot of logic to it, because if you do forget your password, then either you can't get into a site or you have to go through this long process of saying, I forgot my password, getting an email link, proving you're human, setting up a new password, but then that password can't be the same as the previous one. So you'll have another password to not remember until the next time that you go back and you have to set it up again because you've forgotten it. I think the short way to explain this is passwords are hard. Passwords are hard, but passwords are important. You mentioned before you've got your password for website and for banks, and banks, of course, are a little bit different. Most, if not all, use two-factor authentication. We talked about that in the last episode, and I'll put a link in the show notes if you haven't heard it. Two-factor authentication means that you're entering perhaps a username and a password plus a code that could be an SMS or something that a little dongle generates for you. But the real problem with remembering passwords is when it's a single website that you don't go to often, a website that's not that important, and you think maybe the password isn't that important, whereas it could be just as important because if you are using the same password and one of these big data breaches, like like 11 billion accounts were leaked in a, in a Yahoo breach not long ago and 6 billion in the previous Yahoo breach, and, and all of these breaches allow cyber criminals to build databases that match email addresses and passwords. So if you're using the same password on different websites, they'll try your email address and password combination on multiple sites and eventually get into one of them. Exactly. And that that's where it's really risky to reuse your password on multiple sites exactly for that reason. If your password gets compromised on one site and you happen to use that password somewhere else, then somebody could potentially use that information to log into your other accounts. There's a really good website that I think it would be beneficial for probably all of our listeners to go to. It's haveibeenpwned.com. And that's, it's pwned is a funny word, but it's spelled P-W-N-E-D. So haveibeenpwned.com. There'll be a link in the show notes. And when you go to that site and you put in your email address, 
it will give you a list of all the places where your password has been exposed to the public. And um, you might be surprised. Um, basically, just about anybody who's ever used an email address somewhere, typed it into a form, or registered for a website, your email address is probably in have a been pwned, and probably multiple times. So we have passwords, which are generally text, but they could be text and numbers and special characters. But we also have pins. Maybe let's start by talking about that. You have a pin for a credit card, a debit card. You have a pin for your phone. You may have pins for certain accounts, devices, or even to get into your home or your office if you have an alarm system. Now, most of these are four digits. The iPhone now asks six digits, although you can change that to four digits. We don't recommend it. What are the best practices for pins? Obviously, don't choose 0000, which is usually the default on all these devices when you get them. Don't choose anything like one, two, three, four. What would you recommend for pins? Whenever possible, as you mentioned, try to choose a pin that's more than four characters because that's what um, people are going to try by default. If they're trying to get into your account, they're going to assume that you probably have a four-digit pin. So try to pick a pin that's longer than that if you can. If you have to only limit it to four digits, the best thing to do, as you mentioned, is to avoid patterns. Anything that's obvious, anything that's sequential, like one, two, three, four, two, three, four, five, two, four, six, eight. R right, exactly. Anything that's that's a, an obvious pattern. And there might be some slightly less obvious patterns, but are nevertheless discernible patterns. For example, if you pull out your phone and you go to um, the dial screen, you'll notice that you can press the sequences so that they maybe form a square, for example. So like 1793, you're just picking the, the digits that are in the corners. That's also a recognizable pattern and maybe not quite as common of a pin as 1234, but it's still something that's relatively easy to guess. So you want to try to pick a pin that is something that you can remember. One of the things that you could do is maybe there's some obscure, uh, maybe a friend's address when, when you were a kid that you always went over to their house after school or who knows, something like that, that you still happen to remember this kind of random sequence of numbers. If it's something like that, that other people couldn't guess about you or, or associate with you, that might be a good opportunity to use something like that for a pin. Other things that you probably want to avoid, 5683. What's so special about 5683? Odd number, even number, even number, odd, plus one, plus three, minus five. I don't see a pattern there. Well, it's not so much that it's a pattern, but if you, uh, again, if you look at a, a phone on your number pad, you've got letters beneath each number. And it happens that 5683 is a really, really common pin. And that's because it spells love. The the five key is you know is where is mapped to the L and so forth. So five six eight three spells love, and so that's why five six eight three is a commonly used pin and one that you want to avoid. Hmm, that's a little bit simplistic. So so that would mean that some people, if they have a a pet whose name is Fido, they might choose that with letters. Or if someone's spouse is named John, you think they'd put John? That's pretty dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. But one of the problems with pins is that you don't always have a choice to have more than four digits. So my credit card and debit card, at least over here, we don't have that option. So 
you can choose whatever pin you want, but you are limited to those 10,000 possibilities. I guess if someone finds your card and tries to enter the pin in a, an ATM, how many times can they do it before it gets blocked? Three, five? Yeah, that, that's actually a really good question. I, I don't know the answer to that, but I would suspect that if you're trying <laughs> dozens of times, if, if not you know fewer than that, um, it would probably block you and, and prevent you from trying any more times. The iPhone has an interesting way to do that. I think after three pins, it slows things down and it makes you wait a minute or more before you enter it again. And the more times you enter it, the longer it makes you wait until after 10 attempts, it blocks you. If you go into the security settings in your iOS device, you can set it so after 10 attempts, the iPhone will erase itself. Exactly. So that way you can be really sure that someone can't use what we call a brute force attack to get into your iPhone. Can you just quickly define what a brute force attack is? Sure. The simplest brute force attack in that particular case of an iPhone would be Somebody grabs your phone, maybe you left it on your desk and walked away, and somebody picks it up and tries to punch in, you know, any pin combination that they can think of. And as you mentioned, theoretically, there are 10,000 possibilities from 0000 all the way to 9999, but chances are that it's not going to take that many attempts for somebody to get into your phone. If you haven't recently wiped off your screen, people might just be able to pick up your phone and, and take a look at where the smudges are and make a guess at, oh, okay, well, it looks like they probably pressed these four buttons recently, so I'm going to try sequences that include those. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Some years ago, I lived in Paris, and you'll often have doors that need four-digit codes to get in. You know, some of those old Parisian houses where you have those big green doors and then there's a small door that opens that you can walk through and there's generally a code. And when you look at these things, you'd always see which keys were clean and you could know that the code was those four digits. If you have a home alarm system, it's a good idea to clean off your keypad every now and then so right. someone can't come by your house and look for the cleanest keys to try and get in. Or better yet, use a, a keypad where the numbers, the location of the numbers change each time that the that the screen comes up. Um, you, unfortunately, we don't have that option, at least not yet, on the iPhone. But uh, but that that's that's another way to to help avoid that kind of attack. Interesting that you say that. One of the banks I had an account with in France had a login system where you would have your username and your password and a six-digit code, and it would present you with a five by five square grid with digits, with the, the digits from zero to nine in different locations each time. So it was impossible for someone even to spot where you were clicking on the screen from one time to the next. I thought that was really, really a clever way to do it. Absolutely, that's, that's a smart way to handle that. Coming up, Kirk and Josh will continue their discussion on passwords, including the most common passwords you need to avoid using when the Intego Mac podcast continues in just about a minute. If you have any questions about security that you'd like us to cover on the podcast, drop us an email. You can send us your ideas at podcast.intego.com. You're obviously a Mac user who's interested in staying up to date on the latest Mac security news and issues. The best way to do that is to subscribe to the Intego Mac podcast. And there's one other thing we'd like you to do. Save some money. Right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. 
Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout to save 50%. That's Intego Podcast to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. It's a great time to save 50% on Mac Premium Bundle X9 using the promo code Intego Podcast at checkout. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. So you mentioned that there were certain types of pins that people use often, 0000, 1234. The, the same is true with passwords, and I'll put a link in the show notes to a Wikipedia article, which is a list of the most common passwords. And the most common password last year, 2016, was 123456. The second most common was password. The third most common was 12345. Number six was QWERTY, so that's the keys on the top row of your keyboard. Number nine was Princess. I don't know why. Thirteen, Solo, maybe for hand solo. And then you get the clever people. Number 18 was Password with a zero digit instead of the O in Word. Hottie was number 22. Love Me was number 23. Go figure. So let's talk about what you need to do to make secure passwords. Clearly... It's not a good idea to <laughs> to use one of those, but um, but I, I think it's also important to realize that one of the reasons why these passwords are so common is because they're based on human understandable words, sequences of of letters or or numbers and things like that. Um, you, we were talking briefly about brute force attacks. One of the types of brute force attacks is to have a computer attempt many, many passwords over and over again in in sequence. And these attacks can be based on a dictionary. So that's not necessarily exactly the same thing as like, you know, Webster's Dictionary or something like that. A dictionary attack also includes things like people's names, first and last names, pet names, in anything that's a word of any kind, anything that uh, that has letters in it uh, in, in a commonly used sequence, even in other languages, those are things that could potentially show up in, um, in a password database that an attacker might use in a brute force attack. So I guess my use of the word sesquipedalian as a password would be very easy for a dictionary attack to get through. <laughs> Potentially, although that's probably a, a little bit better word to use than most people tend to use. Uh, but, but you definitely, if you're going to use a word, you, you want to combine that with some other things. And don't just put two digits on the end or one or two digits on the end like, like most people do, where uh, typically it would be the year that they were born or graduated or something like that. That's a terrible idea. Please don't do that. <laughs> if you're going to combine a word with numbers, also use special characters. Don't just put the number at the beginning or end of your password. Mix it in. You know, put it somewhere in the middle or put one digit here and another digit there. You want to make your passwords basically as 
pseudo random as possible. You want randomness in your passwords. That's much, much better than something that is a predictable sequence that someone might type. Okay, one strategy that seems to be increasingly common is to use three random words with hyphens between them. And we're going to mention password managers later. I, I'm a big fan of 1Password. We'll explain why a password manager is useful. And 1Password can generate passwords for me. Now, I generally use 14-character random passwords, so there's no way that anyone will be able to figure them out. But it also has an option to generate random word passwords. For example, I just turned on the password generator and came up with the following, complain crow buffalo. And if I click it again, it's narwhal keen mushroom. And one more time, it's bonanza jetsam neural. So these are words that have nothing to do with each other that would never come up in a dictionary attack because there's no relationship between them, yet they are easy to remember. And this is one of the problems. The, the most secure passwords are the hardest to remember. So unless you're using a password manager, you still need something that you can remember. It's definitely better to use a password like that than something like Bob123456. But in my opinion, and, and believe me, there are a lot of opinions on what makes a password strong or not. It's not the most secure, but it's definitely a lot better than, than many, many other possibilities for, for choosing a password. There, there was a webcomic uh, a number of years ago. Some of our listeners might have heard of XKCD, which has a lot of really nerdy, geeky uh, <laughs> comics. And th there was one where they suggested that the password correct horse battery staple, all just written out as one word, was a much better password than, you know, uh, something that used leet speak, which was a lot shorter. In fact, we'll put a, a link in the show notes to that XKCD comic. It generated a lot of controversy because people were like, no, 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 no. My password that's got all these letters and numbers and symbols and it, it's random, right? It, that's, that's a better password. And this guy's argument was, well, actually length is more important. And um, of course, you don't ever want to use the actual password correct horse battery staple. No, because that's going to be in dictionary attacks now. Exactly. And it is. And some people have used that password and have gotten their accounts breached because of it. But the point was that if you have long passwords, that makes them a lot more difficult to break into. And so if you pick a sequence of seemingly random words, uh, as you suggested, that in theory may be better. And, and again, there's different schools of thought about this. But in theory, that may be better to have a much longer password than a shorter one that uses a random sequence of special characters and so forth. And also they're more fun. Income Alley Wicker Armchair or Door Jam Berliner Wineskin Safer. <laughs> These are just some of the ones that you can generate with one password, and there are other password managers can do that. But it's true that you can actually remember a password like that. I bought a new router a couple months ago, a Netgear Orbi. It's one of these mesh Wi-Fi things, and its default password is a thing like that. It's two random words and a bunch of digits. And whereas I could change the password to something that I would generate, I felt that this was random enough that no one would figure it out. 
and it was relatively easy for me to remember it. Again, um, I I prefer not not using a password like that. But um, so what what do you recommend then? What's your recommendation? My recommendation is, um, as you're su suggesting, password managers can actually generate long and complex passwords for you. Right, and that's what I generally use. As I said, fourteen character random passwords. Right. Which I, I doubt that there are any computers in the universe that could crack that type of password, are there? Well, there's a potential that at some point in the future with all these you know, new emerging technologies and processors are getting faster, it's theoretically possible that we could, several years down the road, have, have the technology to be able to brute force passwords that are even longer and more complex, such, such as a 14-character pseudo-random password. Right now, um, it's really not feasible. If you've got a truly random password, uh, as, as random as, uh, of a password as you can generate, then that's, that's going to be your safest bet. If it's something that is so complex and strange and weird that you can't even remember it, but you have to rely on a password manager, that's probably just about as strong of a password as, as you can get. Again, and length is important there. Yeah. And remember that for each one of these characters in the password, there are 62 possibilities. Now, I'm only using letters and numbers. If you use special characters, there's more. There are 26 lowercase letters, 26 uppercase letters, and 10 digits. So that would be 62 to the 14th power, or is it 14 to the 62nd power? Whichever it is, that's a number that's so long that I wouldn't have enough paper here to write it out on. I was told there would be no math. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, okay, so password managers. I've always liked the idea of a password manager because I can have all these random passwords that I would never be able to figure out, but there is a weak link. It's that there is a master password that you enter, and once you enter that password, you unlock the database. So that password has to be both very strong yet very memorable. Yeah, and, and that's that's a common criticism, I think, that people have of password managers. Should I really be putting all my eggs in one basket? Let, you know, I, why go to all the trouble of having all these really complex passwords if they're all in one place? And so if somebody breaks into my password manager, now they've got access to all these really complex passwords. So I, the solution to that, I think, is to, um, well, number one, I think it's really, really important, probably more important than anything else in, in a discussion of password managers. Please choose a password manager from a reputable developer. There are a million password managers available if you search the App Store. And you'll notice that some don't have a lot of downloads or they're from a developer you've never heard of before. Please, please, for the love of all that is good in the world, <laughs> avoid using a password manager from somebody that you've never heard of. That's not a safe practice because you have no idea what they're going to be doing with your passwords. Let me just mention a few password managers. I've been using 1Password for a long time, but there's also LastPass, there's Dashlane, there's something called KeyPass. Now, what you probably want to make sure is that whatever password manager you use is available for all the platforms you need. And that's one thing about 1Password. It's Mac and Windows, it's iOS, it's Android, and it's web. So some of them will give you web access in case you are on a device that's not even yours, so you can log in. Of course, the risk there is that web access means that they're storing the passwords on their server, encrypted most likely. But, you know, we were talking about all these data breaches. 
How reliable can that be? Well, and this is part of why it's really important to pick somebody that's reliable. So, I mean, a lot of these services or apps will, they'll try to do the best that they can to protect your password. But if the person that's developing that app or system doesn't really know a lot about cryptography and they think that they do, then you're in trouble because um, cryptography is something that's actually very um, complex. And it's something that you you, do, you don't want to try to develop your own algorithm unless you're Bruce Schneier or somebody else who, who's a genius at cryptography. So um, those four that you mentioned, those are generally and widely considered to be the best of breed current password manager uh, systems that that exist at least as of according to what they tell the public the security that they're using is very good it's very strong and um, they do try to do things that will lessen the possibility that if somebody breaks into their servers or something like that that they'll be able to somehow figure out your passwords Again, the really important key there, so number one is choose a reputable company. And number two, use a really good, strong password as your one password that unlocks your password manager database. Right. And that could be, as we said earlier, you know, some combination of random words or staple, whatever it was, or it could be some combination of words that are important to you. Let's say you like birds. And, and there are three different birds that you like that you could combine with maybe some extra characters. The, the thing is, you need a password that's relatively long so it can't be figured out. You're not going to have to type this password that often. Once you started logging into websites, for instance, on your phone or on your Mac, your browser is going to remember your password. So you don't really need to keep logging in to enter the password. I, I find myself logging into one password once a day at most, I store my credit card numbers in it. And, and I ordered something over the phone earlier. I had to give a credit card number. It's easier to look in one password than to go get my wallet upstairs. So it is something that I check occasionally, but in regular use for actual websites, it's not that often. And, and let me point out that something like one password is also useful because you can store secure notes. You can store things like important phone numbers, the combination to a safe. You can store images. So let's say you need to keep a, a scanned image of something. For me, it's my passport. Maybe for you, it's your driver's license. You can also store information. You can sort information, say, like for Wi-Fi networks and for websites and for other types of things. So it's not just a list of logins and passwords and websites. You have a whole lot of ways that you can arrange other data. But that single one password has to be really secure, yet it has to be incredibly memorable so you can enter it at any time. Creating one really complex password is something that's absolutely possible to do, something that you can memorize. I think a lot of people assume that they're not very good at memorizing things. And so I think a lot of people have a tendency to just choose something that's easily memorable. I really think that most people probably can memorize something that's a lot more complex than they think. If, if you think about it, you've probably got at least a few phone numbers memorized. I know most people just kind of put them in their contacts and, and save it. And You know, it's interesting. I was talking to someone about this a while ago. I don't know any current phone numbers. I keep my partner's phone number on a piece of paper in my wallet in case I lose my phone. <laughs> Yet I do remember the phone number that we had when I was 10 years old, when I was growing up. I still remember that number. 
There you go. Yeah. And so I, I think, um, I think people really have a capacity to memorize things that are longer and, and more complex a, a lot more than we tend to give ourselves credit for. I'll put it that way. A couple of things to, to avoid. Don't use your favorite sports team or your favorite athlete, because these are the kinds of things that people can find out about on Facebook. If they see that you're a Boston Red Sox fan, for instance, they'll know that, you know, you might use some kind of term that is about the Red Sox. Don't put the name of your high school. Don't use your spouse's or partner's name. Don't use your kids' names and their birthdays. I mean, that is, you know, the worst thing. And it's funny, every time I read a thriller or a spy novel, those are always the kinds of passwords that people have to figure out to get into something. And, you know, two random people and they're going in someone's house and they're, okay, how can we get into this guy's laptop? And they think, okay, what's the kid's name? When was he born? Boom. And they get in. And on the one hand, that may seem ludicrous, but on the other hand, that's what a lot of people do. Yeah, it's, it's, it's true, unfortunately, that a lot of people tend to use passwords that way. Another thing that I've seen in novels is that people will have post-its on their computer with the password or in the desk or someplace. That's really not a good idea, is it? Well, probably not. I, I've, I've definitely come actually... Come on, Josh. No, no, come on, Josh. You were hesitant there. It really isn't a good idea. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a good idea to put it on a sticky note on your computer. I, I guess you do have to consider who the attacker is and, and how they're going to get your password. So if you're trying to protect your account from somebody, you know, across the world from you, then writing down your password is not necessarily the worst thing that you could do. If you've got a really complex password, you don't use a password manager, maybe you don't trust them. And that's, that's fair. It, it might not actually be such a bad idea to write down your passwords. If you're going to do that though, keep them in a, in a secure location. So for example, if you've got a safe that you know the combination to, that would be um, a good place to keep written down passwords. Another thing that you can do is if you have a list of passwords for, you know, whatever it might be, don't write down the entire password, write down a portion of the password and remember the rest. So what you've written down will jog your memory. Exactly, exactly. And then you'll know where, you know, what part of that password, where where to enter the other characters that you have in your brain. And so then it's something that you have and it still requires something that you know, but you don't have to memorize something quite as complex that way. So here's another one I've seen in novels. Someone uses a coded message from words in a book. These are the old spy novels, right? Back in the Cold War. Uh -huh. So it would be page 27, um, line six, word four, right? That would be one part of the coded message. You could actually do that with your favorite book. You could write down on a sticky note, 27, six, four, and then 39, 12, eight. And those could be the words that are your password. Yeah, that's that's fairly clever. As long as as long as um, as long as you remember, as long as you remember, and as long as you don't have that book right next to your password list, then that that could work. The most important thing to remember is just how important these passwords are. And just as a reminder from what we talked about in the last episode about two-factor authentication, one of your most important passwords is the one for your email account because anyone who gets control of your email account can go to websites, say, I forgot my password and reset it because they'll have access to email that's sent to you. So at a minimum, make sure your email password is really secure. And I know it's an expense, but I think a password manager is a really good investment. I, I definitely agree with that assessment. I think, um, again, there, 
kind of some different schools of thought out there, but I think the majority of security experts these days are recommending to use a password manager from a reputable developer. Okay, Josh, thanks for this. I'm going to go create some new passwords with random words and laugh at them because they're funny. <laughs> Woods to advocate kinship crooked. Gosh, Aquarius warm uptrend. <laughs> Polarity capsule thalamic nave. Stay secure. All right, stay secure, Kirk. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. Your comments and questions are welcome. Please feel free to send email correspondence to podcast at intego.com. We may use your question on a future episode. Links to topics and information Kirk and Josh mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where you'll find details on the full line of award-winning Intego security and utility software, intego.com. <laughs>